Hello, and welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Welcome, everybody, uh, to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters. And today uh, we have an interesting topic called giving back. Uh, welcome, David. Thank you, Tom. Uh, you know, and people, uh, I think our listeners understand the concept of giving back, but in the context of the uh, patients you've worked with, this has a kind of a special meaning. And I was wondering if you could uh, tell us uh, what you mean by that in the context of working with the patients you've had and, and people who have uh, been working with chronic pain. Well, the essence of the solution for chronic pain is to connect with your own capacity to heal. And what happens is that people in pain are understandably trapped. They're anxious. They're frustrated. And what happens when you try to survive chronic pain, whether it's mental pain or physical pain, it's very hard to reach out and give back to other people. So what happens, you end up involuting into your own hole. I call it the abyss. And the abyss to me is just a very dark spot where you're just trying to survive. It's almost impossible to reach out to other people when you're trying to survive. So first of all, it's nice to reach out to other people, which is, again, hard to do. In fact, I think impossible to do when, when you're in the abyss. Second of all, the solution to the abyss is reaching out. But again, you, you're trapped because you can't reach out when you're trapped in the abyss. So the giving back aspect is the final stage of the entire process that you, is you have to get out of the hole using the tools we've talked about before, which the mental pain is a bigger problem than the physical pain, although they are both a major problem. We think in terms of what's called neuroplasticity, not psychology, not surgery, not fixing things. We've talked about multiple times, if you try to fix yourself, your tension's on yourself. If you're trying to solve a chronic pain by trying to fix it or fix yourself, or the goal is to be out of chronic pain, it's like driving your car down the freeway looking in the rearview mirror. It's not going to happen. What you're doing with the nervous system is you develop, develop a sort of an internal virtual computer within your computer. In other words, you're developing a set of circuits in your brain that are not involved with the pain. So as you come out of this whole, what I call the abyss, which is deep, deep suffering, the answer is you start reaching, reaching out to other people. By the way, social connection is a major factor in healing chronic pain. In fact, a researcher out of Chicago pointed out that when you're socially isolated, you develop the exact same symptoms as chronic pain. So what happens is that simply interacting with family and friends is a major part of healing. Then a step beyond that is actually reaching out to other people that you may or may not know and, and literally giving back. So, so as, as, you, as you come out of your suffering and you're, you're feeling more connected with other people and you want to reach out, that's, that's when you feel more able to to give back you you basically re, reprogrammed your 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 pain pathways in in your brain to and and now you're in, in a position where you feel like you can give back well i think it's sort of a to me the giving back is sort of a three-dimensional version of rewiring the brain in other words 
We've talked about these simple writing exercises, expressive writing, so if you write down your thoughts and you tear them up, that somehow breaks up the circuit. There's little tools like active meditation where you put your brain in simply a different sensation. Instead of your brain being bombarded by these pain sensations or unpleasant thought sensations, you simply taste your food, feel the breeze, hear some sounds, etc. So that's a way of shifting sensory input. So those are ways of coming out of the abyss. The second stage is forgiveness. If you're holding on to some wrong deed in the past or something done to you in the past, including maybe the person who injured you in the first place, or your brain gets stuck in the past, it turns out that forgiveness is probably the biggest part of the entire doc process. Because if you're holding on to the past, you have no way of moving forward. Then stage two talks about forgiveness versus play. And when you're angry and frustrated by slow stress chemicals and life is, isn't good, when you're at play or relaxation, your body's full of these relaxation type chemicals, oxytocin, dopamine, serotonin, and you feel great, your sense of well-being really depends on your body's chemistry. The same three is about getting organized in a way you can execute the thing that you've learned. But once you've basically worked on the anger slash issues, then you have the capacity to move forward. So if you're stuck in the anger, adrenaline, cortisone, histamine cycles, and you're just stuck in the past, you cannot move forward. Stage three is moving forward, doing little things for yourself, other people, interacting with friends and family. And then the final stage, giving back, is when you're, I call it getting your perspective back, which is a big part of call the spiritual journey. But even a step beyond that, is we can share that with other people. Not only have you reconnect with other people, your brain's there, not on you anymore. And when you're again trapped in the abyss, you can't even see the needs of other people, much less meet them. But the giving back to me is the definitive answer for chronic pain because you're a long, long ways from these pain circuits. So we can think in terms of neuroplasticity, that your brain's gonna go wherever you guide it. I've used this, this analogy many times about directing a river into, into a different channel. So initially the first stage, you're digging a ditch, getting the water going in a different direction. Then you keep digging the ditch and the water starts to flow in, into the new channel. And eventually the water itself starts carving out the channel. And to me, once the river is flowing and, and really stronger, then the old channel starts to atrophy. There's less water going through that and you create a whole different set of channels. But when you're giving back, you're a long, long ways from thinking about yourself. And when you're thinking about yourself, again, you're thinking about the pain. So I think that the giving back to me is sort of the ultimate answer to chronic pain. And being the, the final stage, it's really the validation that you, you, you know, you're well on your way in the, in the healing process. Right. I just want to read a comment I wrote on my website post on giving back. And there's a famous quote, Gabriel Garcia Marquez. His quote is, it is not true that people stop pursuing dreams because they grow old. They grow old because they stop pursuing their dreams. And I modify it to say, I modify this quote based on my experience and observations of anxiety. It is not true that people stop pursuing dreams because they grow old they grow old because their dreams are crushed by anxiety. And as you know, anxiety is a neurochemical response to the environment. It's a survival reflex. It's a million times stronger than the conscious brain. So this is not a psychological issue. This is a 
neurochemical reflex of survival. And the key issue, and so when you have this big neurochemical reaction, you feel anxiety. Anxiety is just a sensation generated by the body stress chemicals. So as you decrease your body stress chemicals, anxiety drops. If you want to talk about it, again, it's a million to one ratio of the unconscious versus the conscious brain. If you want to talk about it, you're actually going to reinforce it. So again, moving forward is really critical. So I, I've also been involved in the compassion movement. I put a course on years ago called A Course of Compassion, Empathy in the Face of Chronic Pain. And I'm just going to point out a problem that's going to become more and more apparent here. I just, I think, you know, I just retired this week to pursue the doc project full time. Yes. I need a different word besides retirement, basically transition <laughs> into this process. My to-do list seems to be stronger. But basically, you can't really have compassion if you're trying to survive. I've said that multiple times, but it's really critical. There's a mood around the world to have compassion for people. But my point is when you're anxious and angry and you're triggered, compassion just goes out the window. doesn't matter because, because basically when you're anxious or particularly angry, it's only about you and your survival. Anger is destructive, including self-destructive. So you have to actually be able to nurture that, but you can't really nurture that when you're stuck in a world of anger and hurt. So nurturing compassion has two parts. One is engaging practices actually engender empathy, which is by the way, inherent. And then again, remove interferences to your compassion, which has been a huge factor for me. I'm a physician, I'm very self-critical, perfectionistic, sort of a cultural norm. The problem is this perfectionism is deadly for your doctors because their burnout rate is about 60%. Uh, I watch it climb from the 40 percentile, 40% of the doctors being burned out around 30 years ago. And every year, the last five years particularly, we're now upwards 55, 60%, some specialties over 70%. And what happens is that doctors are being stressed out, demands, computers, medical legal situations, all sorts of things are really damaging doctors' ability to talk to patients, including the fee structure. Hospitals, insurance companies push the doctors to see more patients. And so it's very difficult as a physician to treat chronic pain if you're, you yourself are trying to survive. One of the processes, one of the focuses I'm engaging on here is moving forward with asking or requiring that physicians in medical school on be trained in stress management. We have tremendous stresses without resources. And um, also change the fee structure. I think primary care should be the fee for primary care. Any doctor talking to patients should be tripled or quadrupled because patients have a horrible time being listened to and doctors don't have time to talk to the patients. And people say, well, it's time for the doctors to you know, be incentivized to talk to the patients. They don't have to be incentivized. They did a study out of Philadelphia years ago, which they showed that the people who applied to medical school had a higher level of compassion than the average population. But by the third year of medical school, it was crushed. And so they ended up with a lower compassion index. And that's before residency and training, which is very abusive, by the way. So again, it's hard to reach out when you're trying to survive. And so the physician situation with just the physical demands of residency and training become crushed just like people in chronic pain become crushed by the pain and other stresses. And so again, you can't create compassion 
when you're being pummeled by anxiety and frustration. You just can't do it. Well, those are uh, those are uh, uh, really key insights uh, into into the healthcare system and the and the stresses it puts on physicians. Like you say, they they can't. It's, it's difficult for them to work on helping others if they're under that kind of stress themselves. Yeah, I mean, I'm always impressed with physicians. So there's a little bit of a tendency to. You know, give physicians a hard time and they're doing this, this, and this, they're not being compassionate, they're not listening. But again, our capacity to be able to do that is just flat out being taken away by corporate medicine. So it's one of those things where I'm impressed how diligent physicians are moving forward. And I think most physicians will tell you that if you, if they're in it just for the money, they would do something else. It's, there's too much work to do this if we didn't have that connection with the patient. So something about physicians and nurses and medical health professionals, they keep pushing forward, trying to help the people around them as best that they can do considering the circumstances. But right now with our corporatization of medicine, it's become very, very difficult to be able to spend time with the patients. Ironically, what actually energizes physicians is talking to the patients. So one thing has been taken away from us. So it's good for the doctors, good for the patient, and one of the solutions to burnout is talking to the patients. Because medicine is mind-numbing repetition. There's about five or 10 things that we do at the most over and over and over again. What makes medicine incredibly interesting is the patients and patients doing well particularly. So it's one of those things where I think that the demands of medicine are really tough. I think, you give, I think in a lot of ways you give up too much of your life to become a physician, but people do it and they keep doing it. I'm very impressed with that commitment. But it's that commitment that actually keeps them moving forward. And, but again, the circumstances, when you're being crushed by circumstances, why it's very, very difficult to give back. I was, as I mentioned before the interview, I was very impressed with this year's Time Magazine's Person of the Year. And they honored 52 journalists who had lost their lives reporting on situations that were politically very dangerous. And I was extremely impressed with this article because talking about giving back, I mean, I get a lot of pushback from these concepts I'm putting out into the real world, mainstream medicine, which by the way is mainstream medicine. But I might get a little bit of pushback here and there, but these journalists are in countries that are known to be dangerous they have no protection. There's no security that they can call to guard them. And they're just calling people out right in front of them and they're losing their lives. And they're not losing their lives nicely, a lot of them are being tortured to death, et cetera. So in spite of known severe consequences, they're giving back in a way that just blows my mind. I think it's mind boggling how much commitment these people have to somehow making the planet a better place. I'm not sure I could do that. I'm very impressed with what they're doing. And I was just, I was really, I save the, save the magazine. I'm going to look at it once in a while. I remind myself that maybe I'm having a bad day here and there, but I'm not in the middle of a totalitarian regime with my life at risk every time I write something down. So I feel fortunate to be able to be on this podcast, on this radio show, and be able to share my thoughts without fear of somebody walking through my door and, and hauling me off to prison. No, that's, that's true. It's, uh, it's certainly, uh, captured the, the headlines and I, I think we often don't realize how much 
of a commitment it takes for these people to put their lives on the line like this every day. The other thing I'm also impressed with consistently is that we have hundreds of patients, I honestly have lost track, that have gone to pain-free, and almost every one of them is excited about it, they're energized, but they're also, the, one of the first things they want to do is just share it with other people and help people out around them. And so I think it's an inherent part of, well, I know it is, we know from an evolutionary standpoint that the species who were able to, to cooperate with each other had a higher chance of surviving. Social connection is a very distinct human need. We also know that in America, 53% of Americans are socially isolated. There's been two major insurance studies showing that doesn't matter what part of the country you're from, rural, suburban, upper class, lower class, middle class, it doesn't really matter that 53% of people consider themselves socially isolated, which is tragic. But again, when you're in this hole trying to survive, you quit talking to friends, you quit reaching out, you don't even feel like reaching out. One of the biggest problems I had in my burnout was just this incredible sense of loneliness, which was horrible. And I, I couldn't reach out. I mean, I did my job and did reasonably well. And I tried to be compassionate and I, and I was to a large degree, but nothing like now where I'm excited, I'm energized, my patients do well, I get feedback all the time. And it's, it's so you have a negative loop that keeps you in the hole. But conversely, once you get on the positive side of this loop, it's incredibly powerful. Well, are there in, uh, in uh, kind of wrapping up today's talk, are there any thoughts that you could give uh, give listeners out there that uh, as a first step to take on that, that path to climbing out of the abyss and getting toward that stage of giving back? Well, I, did, I made some suggestions on my website post, and I'll just mention some of these right now. First of all, it's just commitment. You'll have good days and bad days. Some days you don't feel like talking to people. I just Last week I'd been moving out of Seattle and it'd been very busy, and, and it's, I just was tired, didn't want to be social at all, and that's okay. But the whole idea is in the big picture, you just want to stay committed to your own journey, moving forward with without your pain. And then the second thing is, what I think is most critical, we talked about this a lot on the radio show, but your family's a big deal. And we tend to be in a bad mood, we get snappy, we may talk to them sharply. And you just don't want to do that. That's not being compassionate. And we tend to be negative to people that we know the most and have to live with that we are most connected to and we love, but you have to visualize your actions, which you look like when you're in a bad mood to them. And so no matter what happens, the number one commitment in my mind, in addition to treating yourself well, is treating your family well. Because if you're reaching outside the house and doing good deeds and coming home and not being such a great person, that's a problem. So you have to really work on what's right in front of you first. Another thing you're saying is make a random list of ideas that you can give back whatever they are. You know, just maybe giving some money to a homeless person on the street, which has become very prevalent. Um, just little things like opening the door, maybe saying hi to somebody who looks like they're down. And then, you know, look for volunteer situations, maybe think things about your own journey that help other people, visit different people in a nursing home or sick or relative or give somebody a phone call. I mean, it doesn't matter what they are. It's that giving back energy you don't have to change your world, and it's just little small steps to giving back is a big way. But, you know, make a list, prioritize them, and actually do it. One of the things of the, of the doc process I've talked about multiple times is getting organized. There's a book called Getting Things Done by David Allen, 
you can read the book, do the website, do all these different tools. But what you want to do is become organized in a way you can actually operationalize and, and put into place on a daily basis an action plan to take care of yourself, take care of your family, take care of other people. And as, again, you're organized and do the repetitions, your brain starts to change and it becomes a second nature. If you're just randomly doing this, randomly doing this, not being organized, it's just not nearly as effective. But in general, the main message I want to leave with people with today is that when you're giving back, your brain's in a completely different spot than on you and your pain and your troubles. That's the key. And you can't just get there with positive thinking. You get to be connected to what is. If you're having a bad day, you're having a bad day. But as you are in that hole and having a bad day, so keeping your eye on the ball that, yes, I want to give back. If I'm having a bad day and I can't give back or don't want to give back, that's fine. But at least pull into your own situation and don't you know, lash out at people. But in the big picture, consistently giving back to other people is a major, major factor in people's healing. Well, David, I want to thank you for a very thought-provoking uh, podcast today. And I want to let our listeners know that uh, you can find out more information about uh, the podcast at uh, the Back in Control website, www.backincontrol.com. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with another, with another show. Thanks, David. Thanks, Tom. Thanks for listening today, and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.